You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to your church this morning. And Lord, as we close out this book, Lord, we're thankful for the, the words that are shared in the spirit that, that shapes and forms us in our daily lives, making us in more and more into the image of you. And so Jesus, we, do, we lift up ourselves one more time. May you bring encouragement where it's needed. May you bring exhortation or correction where it's needed. Lord, but most importantly, may we sense your love and your grace this morning. We just pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 6, as Paul's wrapping up his letter to the church in Galatia, I wanted to take a moment and kind of remind us some of where we've been because and who this letter is written to. I think it's important because for us, we can kind of read it and, you know, there can be this magic and mystique around the Apostle Paul. But Paul was a regular pastor. He was a church planter. He was someone who brought the gospel to this community in Galatia and watched it flourish. But it's important to remember that this letter was written with specific people in mind. That as Paul was penning this, this letter, as it clearly indicates in this last chapter, that he would have seen the faces in his mind, that he would have remembered the names of the people that he pastored, the people he served, and ultimately just the people that he loved. And so I think it's important for us to come in with that context this morning. And if you would stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning, we're going to be reading Galatians 6 all the way through. Feel free to turn there, or the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along that way as well. Verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if, any, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they, can, they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and, to the world, and I to the world. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The word of the Lord. I think it's, feel free to grab a seat. I think it's important for us to remember up to this point what Paul's been talking about. He starts off and he's defending his authenticity as an, an apostle, as someone that's sent to bring the gospel to the people, to the world. And he also is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ, showing that there's nothing that we need apart from Jesus, but that it's all figured out in the, in the saving work of Jesus Christ alone. And he kind of keep continues going, and he says that God's going to be at work right where you're at, in your job, in your relationships, in your role as a mom or a dad or a friend. Whatever role you carry, God's going to meet you right where you're at. And that there's no need for anything additional. And then Paul continues to go on to challenge the Galatians and us in asking us two critical questions where he's asking, what's forming you? What's shaping you? What's making you into the person that you're becoming? Which is, I still think, a great question. And I could probably spend my entire life just walking in that question. Looking at where you're going. And he kind of rounds it out with this idea of living with a true integrity as a follower of Jesus. But not caving into the outside pressures of the culture or the outside religious expectations. And so when we think back, we hear Paul's heart for a community that had wandered off course. Or we remember Paul's words earlier in the book where he says, how quickly you've left. I don't know, understand why you would leave. Why you choose bondage over freedom. And then last week we talked about this idea of being formed by the Spirit for the purpose of freedom. And that the things that we all want and chase after in our lives, you know, we know it as the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We talked about how we don't find those things through positive thinking or reading the right book or figuring out the, you know, the life hack of the perfect prayer rhythm. But Paul, in, in the closing of chapter 5, says love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, all of them is formed by crucifying your flesh. It's putting to death the sinful desires in our hearts. And, and that's how these things are actually formed in us in a really deep and meaningful way. 
And honestly, that's been weighing on my heart all week. Just that, just the reality of that. That the things that I want to be formed into me as a character and as a person and as a believer is not formed through reading books or being positive, but through the actual act of putting to death the flesh. And why I'm kind of going back to that is one thing that's really important for us when we approach these, when we approach the scriptures, is that when they were originally written, they didn't have the cool chapters and verses and all the things that we have now that are really helpful. Because, you know, if I said, open your book to the letter of Galatians, I'm going to start somewhere. It'd be a lot harder for you to follow along. But those things were given as addresses for us to be able to reference as we were walking in through the scriptures. And so Paul's encouraging us and he's kind of carrying the same message on that we were ending with last week and he's pushing it forward this week and kind of wrapping it up for us. Because last week as he talks about this, that's this inward work. It's this thing that's deep in your soul and that's what Paul's really aiming at at the end of chapter 5. And the beauty of what Jesus is offering us in this, in this sixth chapter and in what he's really offering us throughout this entire letter is he's saying, or Paul's writing to us and he's saying that Jesus isn't just coming to give you good quotes, mantras to live by or meditations for you to, to reflect on, but he's offering you relationship. Where he is our God and we are his people and where we will become like him in our character. But to be clear, the road forward of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple or an apprentice, is not marked with magic or just really positive feelings. But the road is marked with suffering. Choosing a particular level of suffering. In chapter 6, Paul is bringing us to this idea of this is what a follower of Jesus looks like as he closes the chapter. And that's, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning is a follower of Jesus. And these are the three things that we really see laid out in this chapter. We see that a follower of Jesus loves outwardly, is transformed internally, and lives freely. So this idea of being a follower of Jesus and loving outwardly because if that other section that we were talking about last week is the inward work, eventually it's got to make its way out because our faith isn't meant to just be a personal, quiet, inward thing. But it's meant to be something that's expressed and to have an impact in our culture and in our world. But I think we have to start with this idea of defining what is love. Which I think that's every pastor's favorite thing is to define love. Our culture defines love, or, you know, dictionary.com defines love as a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. And we can all like that. We're like, yeah, yeah, I love people that I have this, you know, passion for or this, you know, tender heart for or this connection with. But it still lacks something, because if that's the love that Jesus is offering, it's a little shallow. It's not. It's there's not like a. There's not a place that's rooted in that. 
But the best description of love that I've ever found comes from this Catholic priest from back in the 1200s. And he says, his name is Thomas Aquinas, he says that love is the choice to will the good of another. Just let that sink in for a minute. It's not like, it's not like a sexy or cool kind of like definition of love. Like when you think of like marrying your spouse, that's probably not the, the vision that you think of. You're like, I'm going to will the good for my spouse. But I love that it carries this idea of a choice. It isn't an emotion. It isn't a feeling. It isn't just passion. It isn't just this pursuit of pleasure. It isn't just for my benefit. But it's this definition of love that, that is this expression of it's completely outside focused. And when we think of how Jesus operates, yes, those, the, you know, our culture's definition of love would fit. Jesus does have a passionate and tender heart for you. But I think so much more that carries what the gospel shows is that he has made a choice to will the good for you. Because in this other definition of love, in the culture's definition of love, I can't just, I can be swayed by emotion. I can, you know, I can fall in and fall out of love like we hear so often. But in this Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, I can't just carelessly walk around the world saying, I love everyone. I love you, I love you, I love them. But it actually, like, if I actually have to weigh, am I willing the good of that person? Am I intentionally trying to bring good out into that person? Are my actions really good for them? Or is it really for my benefit? Am I trying to keep the peace? Whether it's in my home or at my job. Am I just trying to appease someone because I don't want to deal with a difficult situation? And we talk about Jesus' love and we sing about his great love. But it's more than he likes you and wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to flourish. And this morning, I would ask you that question. Are, where are you at in your relationships? And where are you at in your life? Are you flourishing? Are you thriving? And maybe you're like, no, I'm not. I think the beauty is that we have a God that cares about you enough that wants you to flourish and desires for you to experience the things that he wants good for you. And so to be like Jesus, we need to love others. And Paul points out how this is how we actually fulfill the law of God. And if you look at verse 2 in Galatians 6, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, how do we carry one another's, one another's burdens? It's simple. We, we, we're together. We do life with each other. We don't just come in and bolt out and try to like kind of do our thing, check the box. But no, we actually we integrate and we share meals and we do life. We do missional community. You know, I think I think something that needs to be called out here is that the Christian faith is not one that can be done alone. 
it's impossible to be a follower of Jesus and be completely isolated. And I've known lots of people who try to live out their faith that way. They live it out specifically just with their family. Like, I'm not, we just, we just hunker down, our family's first, you know, this is all we do. Or they go more intense and they just are like, nope, I'm just alone. And they usually have a variety of reasons, and I want to be sensitive to that and not just, you know, throw darts at something that would be just being insensitive. Some of it can come from wounding. Some of it can come from this idea that nobody else is godly enough, so there's not really an ability to be in relationship with others because you're so far elevated, which if that's your heart, you probably have another problem. (laughs) But hear this this morning. To be a follower of Jesus or a biblical Christian, it's impossible to do it alone. Jesus himself needed community and he needed brotherhood and he wanted people to help carry the weight with him. As he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks his disciples to come with him and to pray with him. It wasn't Jesus wasn't trying to be like the spiritual guru or a life coach in that moment where he's like, I re- this is like the last few hours. I really want to make sure we get these last prayer lessons in with you guys. So come on, let's do this. And I'm, this is going to be a really great story where you guys fall asleep. No, Jesus was trying, saying, I'm grieved to the point of death. I'm sweating drops of blood. I want my people with me. Because he knew what laid ahead of him. He knew that he was going to be stripped naked and hung on a cross and people would spit on him and mock him and beat him and you know, do horrible, unimaginable things to him. Crucify him. All that was before him. And we see Jesus saying, can you just be with me? He wanted comfort. And it's sad because they weren't there. They fell asleep. And they were tired. I'm not going to say I would be better. But if our own Lord needed community, how much more do we? And I'm incredibly passionate about this idea of living in community and being known because I believe you massively stunt your ability to grow as a follower of Jesus if you're alone. You just get really sick. But the reality is also being in community, you're going to see people struggling and caught in sin like Paul's talking about in the beginning of our our text. This idea of feeling trapped. And it can be easy when someone is struggling to feel like, well, I just need to kind of give them space. I don't want to be that Christian that it like comes up to them as like, hey, you don't seem like you're doing too good. I've got this thing brewing on my heart. But sometimes it's valuable to have someone come alongside and just walk with you through it all. I have a really, one of my, one of my friend's wives routinely will ask me, she'll be like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. I'm doing really great. And she just like looks at me and she'll smile. She's like, okay. And I shared with 
the leadership last week, how I have been struggling, how I have had these different struggles in my own heart and life and season of life and feeling tired and wrestling and being in a place that isn't clean and neat. But the beauty is I have a place where I can do that. I have a group that I can sit with and I can say, my heart just feels like this surging wave at times of anxiety and fear and wrestling. And maybe you all have your lives way more put together than I do, but I would like to imagine, I, I hope that I'm not the only one that feels that way at times. But that's the idea of being in community. That's the idea of having somebody carry your burdens with you. Where we have those people that are that friend that just reaches over and not aggressively, not saying, hey, I'm going to, I think there's something wrong and I'm going to challenge you on this. But to be like, hey, friend, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And I love the way that Paul points it out because he says when someone comes to, when you go to restore someone or when you're going to deal with someone, you don't go with them. And I don't even like that, that terminology, going to deal with someone. When you're going to walk with someone through, the, through a difficult moment, whether it be sin or a traumatic life event, Paul says to come gently. Something that I'm constantly being reminded of is it's impossible to be in a hurry with someone and to be gentle. When I'm frantically trying to get my kids out the door because I'm trying to get here to practice and get all my songs ready and all these different things, is my tone gentle or is it frustrated? Is it loving? When you're trying to get your kids to school and you're rushing out the door because the world is going to end if we are five minutes late to school. Are we gentle or are we frenzied? And so this is why Paul points this out. And he says, watch yourself so you don't become tempted to do the same things. Test your motivation. Be humble in the process. Allow time and space for repentance and for transformation. Because it's only when we genuinely care for people and give them room and time to change that they just might. And when we think about how God has come to deal with us as his people, he didn't come with fear and intimidation. Romans 2 verse 4 points out that it's not God's wrath that brings us to repentance or the fear of God that brings us to repentance, that you know, calls us into life and relationship with him. But no, it's God's kindness that has led us to repentance. So the follower of Jesus is not just inwardly focused or running around trying to, you know, or running away from difficult people or situations, but the follower of Jesus loves outwardly those that are inside the church that are struggling and that are struggling with sin, and those that are outside the church that are struggling and struggling with sin. You know, Paul is pointing this out, saying, hey, we need to be patient. We need to walk with people. The next thing that Paul 
says the follower of Jesus is he says that he's transformed internally. And Paul brings us back to, to this agrarian theme of sowing and reaping. So I grew up in Sonoma County, which is the neighbor of Napa Valley. So Napa Valley is like the real fancy, bougie spot. And Napa, or, yeah, Sonoma County is kind of like, it's like two steps down. <laughs> but it's still one country, so we're, we're going to claim it. And I had an opportunity when I was younger. I worked for a wine labeling company. And one time I had this opportunity where I'm delivering these labels. And if I'm showing up, everything's gone horribly wrong because it means they're paying me to drive all these boxes and my little Civic out to this winery and they're trying to bottle. So everybody, whenever I show up, everybody is like flustered and hurried and really, really angry. So it was a really fun job. Um, and so as I get there though, I pull up, I give them their things, I'm like, thanks so much, whatever. And they just run off with the labels. And I'm kind of like just sitting there and I'm looking at the winery because it's beautiful and they recently they had ripped this huge chunk of vines out you know and they put them all in this giant pile it just looked kind of like carnage and just really gnarly looking and so this guy comes out and so I'm talking to him and he, it turns out this guy's the manager of like the vineyard and like the actual vines and so I'm asking him like why did you dig all these out that seems kind of crazy that's weird. He said, well, you know, it's because they stopped bearing fruit. They're not producing good grapes. We can't do anything with them. Yeah, they look cool, but we're in the business of making wine, not just making pretty pictures. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And so they looked like they're getting ready to start sowing, like planting again. And I'm like, so I asked him, like, oh, are you planting? He's like, yeah, we're planting. And so they're replanting and and so I'm just trying to make small talk with them. And I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe they'll be ready by next year. You know, you won't have too much of a loss since this year they couldn't do anything with them. And the guy just starts laughing at me. And I'm like, this is so weird. This is a weird cat. Uh, and he starts laughing. I'm like, what's your deal? Like, why are you laughing at me? Like, I don't know. And so he begins to share with me. He's like, well, you obviously don't understand anything about vines. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not a farmer or a vine dresser. Like, if I was, I wouldn't be driving this car and I wouldn't be delivering boxes of labels. And so he walks me through this process and he says, for a vine to become mature, it takes a minimum of three years. Sometimes it can be up to five or eight, or I've even heard up to 15 years, depending on the type of vine that you're growing. And so he begins to explain to me, he's like, no, it's not a fast process at all. He's like, that's the beauty of wine. It's slow and it's calculated and it's this. He compared it to being like an art. So, and I, well, the best part of it, and I'll never forget this because of where we live now, but he was like, it's not like you're growing potatoes. You're just like doing whatever. He's like, which obviously we're the potato capital. Uh, and so when we think about this, when Paul brings us back into this agrarian idea of sowing and reaping, Paul's not talking about wine or potatoes, but he's talking about like, this idea of sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. And so what are the things that we're sowing to? Because this idea of becoming a person of love doesn't happen overnight. This idea of becoming a person of peace or a person of gentleness or goodness or self-control, we all know is not going to happen overnight. 
It's like when you pray for patience and then you have that person that comes into your life that is very difficult and and they're cultivating patience through the hard work of driving you a little bit crazy. But it's all done over time through small and simple acts. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you sowing to? What is the things in your life that you are giving yourself to? What are the small and simple acts? For me personally, I'm trying to grow in the areas that I'm sowing to the Spirit. I'm trying to get up earlier to have a quiet time during the week to sit in silence. Because in sitting in silence, I have an opportunity to not try to rush through my Bible reading or try to figure out what my emotions are feeling over the last day or in the morning. But if I'm sitting in silence and just allowing myself to be there with God in that moment, I'm doing the art of existing presently. And after I exist and I'm present, then I'm in a place that I'm ready to receive what God has in his word for me. To process and journal through my struggles, through my fears, through my questions. And I'm ready for my four kids as they come like a freight train down the the stairs to be fed and dressed and ready for school. And to be fair, I'm not doing stellar in that rhythm. I think I did it three times this last week. But you know what? I'm thankful for those three. And when Paul talks about this idea of putting my flesh to death, that's what he's talking about. Because you know what I really want to do? I want to sleep till like 7.59 because I have a call every morning at 8 a.m. Where I can just jump on that call and just be dead silent. Be like, good morning, everyone. And then just mute, you know, and then kind of like get ready for my day. But maybe you putting your flesh up is you putting a limit on how much you watch Netflix or surf Instagram. You set screen time limits so that you don't, you have this accountability. We need to consider these things, the movies we watch, the things we listen to. If all we do is sow to the flesh, you will not become a person of the Spirit. If I sow apple seeds in a field, I'm never going to get an orange tree. So if we sow with the seeds of the flesh and the seeds of self-gratification and comfort and pleasure, we will not become a person of the Spirit. We will not look like Jesus. That's heavy. I was literally at the park with another mom. And I said, I don't know how old people sometimes get so grumpy. Do you know those like cantankerous old men? And I was like, but I do think I'm kind of figuring it out a little bit. (laughs) But like the manager at the winery... What he, was shape, what he was telling me in that moment. Don't expect this to change in a day. Or two. Or three. But maybe in a month. More likely in six. Definitely at a year. We need to be a people of transformation. Going from people of the flesh to people of the spirit. 
And again, this is a tremendous challenge and this is not an easy task. And think of the thing that you really don't want to do or don't want to give up and maybe consider that that's probably a good place to start. For me, honestly, it's slowing down. And as a family, we're always on the move and we're always doing things. And I stand before you today and I will be the first person to say, I have not figured out how to slow down fully. But vulnerably, I stand here and I can honestly say that I'm working on this. And not as a family, but as for me personally. Because it has to work itself out in me personally before I can ever really bring it into my family. And in this current moment, I have a lot more questions than I have answers. So I'm reading a lot, I'm praying a lot, and I'm asking a lot of people that are doing it a lot better than me. And what makes these things hard is I want a clear prescription. I want to read the book of Psalms or the book of Job or the gospel of Mark and it's like I snap in. But it's not that way. Because it's not a clear prescription. Again, it's relationships. Which is why I believe Paul gives us this great encouragement in, this, in being in a difficult path as we walk with Jesus. Where he says in verse uh, Galatians 6 verse 9, it will be on the screen. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper, at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The passage, this passage in particular holds a very near and special place in my heart. Two or three years ago, three years ago, I was in this really, really dark season in my own life. I'm working 65 hours a week. We're barely able to pay our bills. I moved our whole family away from my family to move to a state that I couldn't even have told you where it was on a map prior to us deciding to move here. Um, and I'm pastoring our church, and it's getting down to a handful of people. We're gathering on Sunday nights, and honestly, the church is super unhealthy. And in that moment, I remember I'm sitting on our little gray couch with my wife. And I said to her, I said, I think I need to be done. I think I need to be done pastoring. And I need to give up on planting this church. And I said, I'm a failure. And Kylie, if you don't know Kylie, she's way better than me. But she sat and listened to me. And she just said, hey, before we do anything, let's just, let's just pray and invite some core friends into this, to pray with us for, that, for a month. And as all good husbands do, I was like, sure, we can pray. Because <laughs> I'm just exhausted and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. And so my wife had this practice where her and a friend would pray together through sharing videos with each other. And as they did this, the friend shared with her, she's like, I don't know, I just... I don't have peace. I don't have peace around this. It's simply just walking away, being done. And as Kylie's praying, she has this moment where God speaks this scripture to us, or to her, and she shares it with me. And so in a moment where I was tired and depressed and emotionally and spiritually drained, God sends this word through my wife for me to hold on. That fruit is coming. And honestly, I can say I'm really glad I did. 
because I do look at the people in this room and I'm grateful. Not just because you're here. Like, I am grateful you're here. But those of you that I've had the opportunity to have conversations with and sit with and talk with and I love being your pastor. And I can say, like, I love you. And I look at you and I come as I'm driving down and I'm listening to worship music and my kids think I'm kind of weird because I cry every time I'm driving to the church. Um, and honestly, in my heart, the things that, that I don't say enough, but what's really coming out of me is this idea of thank you Jesus I'm so thankful for these these relationships and these people because what I learned years ago that fought you know in the years that followed was that I wanted what we all want I wanted quick growth numerical success I wanted to fix the problem fast but Jesus has called me to walk and be more considered concerned about quality over quantity. And quality takes time. Just like the vineyard. So in your discipleship to Jesus, maybe you're in year one, you're learning to develop a quiet time. To simply read your Bible and to pray. Or maybe you're in year two. You're serving those in your community. You're living generously. You're understanding the scriptures the implications and you're diving in and allowing them to speak to you in a more meaningful way. Or maybe you're in that third year and you're continuing to grow deeper where you're, you're about to be ready to start bearing fruit, where you're actively pursuing emotional and spiritual health in a deeper and more meaningful way. You're living in community with people in a way that is not just Hey, cool, let's talk about the Boise State game and kind of, you know, kind of do our thing, talk about our jobs. But you're talking and connecting over the real things in your lives and in your stories. Where people can truly see who you are and call you up when they see you down. Or living missionally. This idea, most people are like, what in the world is that? Is that a word you made up? It's not a word I made up. Somebody made it up. But... It's essentially this idea of living as a missionary, desiring to see people come to come to know Jesus. Or something else that I think would be amazing to see is seeing people that are speaking words of truth over someone because the Spirit is giving you a word for your brother or sister in this room. And I'll be honest, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, you're year one, the road ahead's hard. You're year three, the road ahead's hard. You're at year 50, the road ahead's probably a little bit hard. But the beauty is the hard road is not a hard road because you're not doing it alone. And we don't strive to walk this road. And so no matter where you're at in the journey, as Paul says, he says, don't give up. Don't grow weary or tired of doing good, but keep going. Keep sowing to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Because if we don't sow in certain areas, we will never reap in those areas. And the last thing that Paul says is, for the follower of Jesus, he says to live freely. We see that throughout the book of Galatians, there are these men and women who are striving to take away and to rob 
this freedom from the Galatians. They did this through circumcision, through dietary restrictions, through following the old law. And the whole point of doing these things was simply to be able to say they got you to do it. Because you had agreed to follow their set of rules. There was no real purpose for any of these things anymore. And the follower of Jesus lives freely because we don't carry the weight of the world on our shoulders anymore. Paul says this in Galatians 6.14. He says, May I never boast in the cross of our sorry, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. All because of what Jesus has done, we can now live in freedom. Paul is not saying the world itself is dead. The world is very much alive, and we know that, and we see that. But it is dead to Paul, and it can be dead to you. Paul wasn't concerned about his social standing with other pastors and with other religious leaders and with the local city boards. Paul knew that he was right with Jesus and he was right with his community. Paul knew that the world was dead to him. And as we progress in our discipleship and following Jesus and we become closer with Jesus and with one another, we will start to see the things that we held on to really aren't that important. and They really never were. The career, the vacations, the experiences, the accolades, the information, the goals accomplished, the successes. You are free as a follower of Jesus because you are not measured by what you've done. By your successes and by your failures. I've had so many opportunities to talk with other pastors. And I remember when I grew first planted, I talked to a guy. He's like, well, how much money do you have? So I told him. He's like, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot. It was really not a lot. He's uh-huh. like, all right, well, how many people moved here with you? And I'm like, well, it's, it's just so far. And then, you know, a couple of our friends came, and then a couple more of our friends came. And he was like, well, you're not from the area. He's like, you've got like an 8% chance of succeeding in planting this church. And I thought, and I used to really like struggle with that and wrestle with that. Failure, we don't have the funds, we don't have the people, we don't have this, that. But the moment that I let that stuff fall away and not care about those men's opinions is the moments that I, the moment where I shifted in how I pastored, where I was like, I'm just going to enjoy the people that are here. And I had another brother that pastored a church out in Phoenix. He said, but you've planted a church. He's like, you're successful in planting a church. He's like, whether your church will be sustainable long term, he's like, that will be the question. And he's like, and, you know, it'll just be what it is. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. But if we're able to let the careers and the vacations and the accolades and our goals and our accomplishments and our successes and our failures fall away, 
It's then in that moment that you're free to enjoy a relationship with God himself. To see him in the midst of your greatest joys and your deepest sorrows. It's in those moments that you'll realize that he is with you and has been with you your entire life, whether you acknowledged him or not. And he, but the reality is, he's given each person in this room to be in relationship with you too. And some of you in this room are carrying a heavy weight in your heart and in your soul, and you need to bring that to Jesus. And some of you are in this room and carrying a heavy weight in your heart and soul, and you have given it to Jesus, but you need to bring it to your brothers and sisters to carry it with you, to love you deeply in it. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're like, well, that sounds great, Mike. You know, how, do I, how do I really get in? Because we all know church is challenging at times to get in. And there's really, I, I, this isn't magical or anything special, but there's two ways really I've always seen that works with every church. You want to be in, committed and in, in part of the community? You serve and you show up at MC. Those are the natural rhythms that will just put you in relationship with people. Because in serving, you're doing a task and you're working together to better the whole of the church. By jumping into missional community and sharing your life, not just the, your theology, but your life with one another, you're given the opportunity to really be known for who you are and to be received and loved for who you are. And so in closing, I want you to hear the word of God for you this morning. To be a follower of Jesus that loves outwardly, is transformed internally, and that is living freely. So, Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that we have the opportunity to, to worship you and to hear your word be shaped more and more into your image. So God, I just lift up our hearts through this morning as we prepare to, to come to your table this morning and to worship you. I pray that you would, if there's something brewing in each of our hearts, Lord, that you would allow us to, to receive from your spirit this morning. So God, we just give ourselves to you in Jesus' name.